You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. We are three days out from Christmas. Are you ready? I've heard this as almost a customary greeting as late. Uh, not only you tell people Merry Christmas, but you're asking people, are you ready for Christmas? Are you ready? Because there's a lot of planning, a lot of preparation, a lot of presents, there's a lot of decorating, there's a lot that goes into Christmas. And no doubt you've been working towards Christmas Day for some time now. Some of you have already begun to have your Christmas gatherings with family. You've already started some of those gift exchanges. And you feel like you have all of these gifts that you need to buy and wrap and all these goodies that you need to bake and plans to make and details to finalize. And I can't help you be ready to open up gifts and I can't help you decorate your tree. You don't want me to help you with that. You definitely don't want me helping you bake. But I have tried to help you prepare this year. We've tried to help you prepare not your tree, not your gifts, not your food. We've tried to help you prepare your hearts. And so this month, the beginning of this month, we gave Advent devotions to all of the families to, to read through with their children each night. We've been sending an Advent email devotional each day to help prepare our hearts. On the Sundays of December, I've talked to you about the four main concepts of Christmas or Advent. Peace. We talked about Jesus being the one who can say peace be unto you and it have meaning. We talked about love, how the love of God flows into our hearts and then flows out on all those that are around us. We talked about hope last week and how it's connected to joy. And today we'll talk about the joy and how it's connected to hope. And I hope that as you enter into Christmas, whenever it is that your family gathers, Whenever you sit around a table, whenever you gather around the tree, your heart will be ready because we have focused on these truths from Scripture. And there's one particular verse that I really want you to get a hold of this morning, and it's verse 10 of Luke 2. And the angel said unto them, them being the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good what tidings of great joy which shall be to all People. If you're not familiar with the word tidings, it means news. It refers to an event, a moment. And so the angel says to the shepherds, I bring you good news. And as I thought on this passage of Scripture this week, I found it noteworthy that in a season that we celebrate the good news of Jesus' birth, we are currently enduring some of the worst news. Have you watched the news this week? It's been all about our president being impeached by Congress. Congress voting to impeach our president. And this has caused so many people to be upset. Those that uh, support our president, those who do not support him, are arguing and bickering. They're tuning in to watch. Congress has passed it and they passed it on to the Senate, but people are pretty sure that Congress is so unpopular People are so disgusted with the government that Congress passing articles of impeachment on the president might actually help him get reelected in 2020. They have sent the articles of impeachment on to the Senate, and the Senate, because it has a majority of Republicans, people feel like most likely the Senate is not going to condemn the president. 
just further solidifying the fact that this is not divided on right or wrong, true or false, but rather on party lines. Do you support the president or not? Did you vote for him or not? And the news is loving it. You know why? Because this week, this past week, the news agencies have had the highest ratings that they've had all year. Because everyone's tuning in to watch what's going to happen. Everyone's tuning in to hear the latest news about the impeachment or about the president. And outrage is big business. And the news agencies have made more money and sold more ads this week than any other time because everyone has something to be upset about. Outrage drives us to watch the news. Outrage drives us to post on Facebook about the news. Outrage will drive us to argue with our relatives at Christmas about the news. Our text today, though, is about good news. And while good news doesn't drive ratings and good news doesn't sell ads and good news doesn't become a trending topic on social media, good news changes the world. And the message that the angels brought that day was a message of news that would change the world. The King James Bible gives us the word tidings, referring news, good news especially, but in the original language, it's the same word that we use for evangelism of telling someone the good news of Jesus. And it's important. It's important for us to see that the angel does not show up to the shepherds and say, don't be afraid, I want to tell you a wonderful story. He does not say, don't be afraid, have you heard the latest rumor? He doesn't say, don't be afraid, I've got some juicy gossip. Rather, he says, don't be afraid, I have good news. In the Advent email devotional that we sent on Friday, we focus on the fact that Matthew starts the life story of Jesus, not at Jesus' birth, but he starts the life story of Jesus with the genealogy of Jesus, the ancestry of Jesus. He goes back 42 generations. Now, some of you have a friend that whenever they tell the story, they have to start back at the very beginning, you know, when they were born and give you all of the details. Matthew goes back to the very beginning of time and connects how that Jesus is a part of the family of Abraham, those characters that we've been looking at in our Advent devotions. But Matthew wants us to see that this is no story. This is no legend. This is no rumor. This is real. This is a real person born to real people in a real place. Jesus is connected to all of the promises and all of the people that had come before Him because this is real. And it's important for us to recognize that fact because this is a season where we celebrate a lot of legends. This is a season where many of you parents and grandparents, I'm impressed with the great dedication you put to keeping your children enamored or fooled by a legend. You wake up early and you move little creatures around the house so that the children feel like there's an elf that's keeping an eye on them. You take your children to have their picture taken with a middle-aged, overweight man who has white hair and a white beard. And then you send that picture to family and friends. 
I mean, can you imagine if we did that in July? You're on vacation at the beach, you see a kind of a big guy with white hair and a white beard, and you're like, kids, sit on his lap. We're going to get your picture taken with this guy and send it to all of our family and friends. But it's a time of year that people celebrate legends and mystical things. And we need to be certain and clear on the fact that when we celebrate Christmas, though you might participate in those things, the birth of Jesus is no legend. It's real. It's no mystical story. It took place. And Matthew gives us the detail and Luke tells us all of the places because these are historical events that happened. And so when we read earlier those names that seem strange to you where it tells us that this taxing, which is a registration or a census like the one we'll have coming up in 2020, it's a census that takes place while Serenius was governor of Syria. Those are real people who governed in real places. Matthew and Luke give us these details because this really happened. This is not a good story. It is good news. It's not a good story with a moral. It's good news that changes lives. And so when the angel shows up, he says, I bring good news of great joy. Christmas is a time of joy, right? Right? I mean, you guys don't seem convinced. It seems like Christmas is supposed to be a time of joy and happiness, but it can kind of become this time of stress and busyness, right? I've often thought it would be, it would be really interesting if we sent real Christmas cards, you know, those photos that you, you get and everybody's smiling and they look so happy. And if we sent real ones, which is the picture right before that where everybody was screaming and crying, right? Christmas is to be the season of joy, but it can become the season of busyness and stress. I think that for many of us, Christmas is the time that we, we put on a brave face. We pretend to be enjoying it, but we're just really looking forward to it being over. The angels tell these shepherds who were sleeping out in the fields with their sheep, that there is good news of great joy. And the good news is that a baby has been born in Bethlehem and they will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes which are leftover scrap pieces of material. Imagine tearing up an old towel and lying in a manger, which is a feeding trough that would be in a stable. Let's Let's just time out for a moment. I want you to think back to some of your fondest Christmas memories. Think back to the Christmas where you got something that, man, that that gift, that was, wow, you remember it to this day. I you think back to that Christmas where you, you remember everybody gathering around the table. And whether it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30, 50, 80 years ago, it's kind of crystallized in your mind as this beautiful moment. Now, if you're honest about that moment that you look back to, it wasn't perfect. Now, nostalgia may have made it seem beautiful and something wonderful and something that you cherish that you look back to, but even that Christmas when you got that gift that you really, really wanted or that Christmas when everybody got together at Grandma's house, there was something about that that wasn't perfect. And if you can look around at the faces that are in that memory, some of them may have been going through things at that moment that they don't look back at that Christmas as a perfect time. The reason I want you to do that is because I want you to realize that many times we approach Christmas, 
we approach Christmas with this feeling of like, I've got to get everything perfect. I've got to make it right. I've got to get the right gifts. All of the candy has to be just right. I've got to have the perfect plans. Everybody coming over at the right point. And when the angel tells the shepherds that they'll find joy, he doesn't tell them that they will find joy in a picture-perfect scene. He tells them that they will find joy a baby wrapped up like someone who's in poverty, born in a barn, lying in a manger. I think, think about it this way. We've, we've been blessed to have three babies born into our church membership you know, this year. And one of them just born this past week to Nathan and Ashley. And I was able to go and have prayer uh, with their newborn baby and them like I have for the others. And for every one of those, it's just amazing the level of care that we have in our hospitals today for the baby and the mother to be taken care of. When I got to the hospital in all three cases, they pointed me to a room which had state-of-the-art technology and nurses on call. But just imagine with me for a moment. Imagine with me for a moment if for one of those children who was born, I went to the hospital and I asked for the room and the lady at the desk said, I'm, I'm so sorry, but... We are just swamped with people having babies. We are just out of room. And so we, we didn't have a room for them. So they are in supply closet number three. Oh man, I make my way to supply closet number three and I get there and I find that in supply closet number three there's no rooms and there's no cribs. And so instead of a crib, they've had to place the baby on one of those janitor's carts that janitors take their supplies from room to room. What kind of joyful scene do you think I would happen upon in supply closet three with the baby on a janitor's cart? None. Mom would be giving it to somebody, right? Like she would be about to kill someone if that was the situation that she had to have her baby in. That's not what anybody would have pictured as perfect. But when Mary and Joseph arrive in Bethlehem, there's no room. And the innkeeper says, I don't have any place for you, but I've got a supply closet. I've got a barn. We don't have a crib, but we've got a manger that we feed the animals out of. What the angel tells the shepherd, it's not like the angel, you know, sometimes you go to a thing and you think it's going to be amazing and you get there and it's not amazing. It wasn't that the angels thought that it was picture perfect where Jesus was at. They knew. In fact, they even told the shepherds what to look for. You'll know you're in the right place when you get to supply closet three and you find a baby on a gender's car or you find a baby in a manger. You'll know you're in the right room. I emphasize this because right now there are some moms that you're stressed out because you want to make this you want to make this Christmas perfect. Right now there's some dads that are sweating it because the boss hasn't given you your Christmas bonus yet. He'll probably do it on the last day of work, and you really hope that it's big enough to cover the gifts that you've already bought this year. Right now there are some grandparents that are just straight up mad because the plans for this Christmas aren't what they would like for them to be. The angel brought good news of great joy, not because everything was picture perfect, but in the middle of the mess of a stable in a manger on some straw wrapped in scrap cloth is the Savior of the world. That's where they would find joy, in the middle of that mess. And you will find joy this Christmas not because you finally get everything just picture perfect like a Norman Rockwell painting. You won't get all of the details lined out like they just absolutely need to be. You will find joy this Christmas if you look upon the face of God in the form of Jesus Christ the baby in a manger. 
But let's make the application a little bit more broad, not just for Christmas. Because there's some of you, you've already given up on this Christmas. You know it's not going to be picture perfect. You're just trying to make it through. But you do have hope that the new year is going to be your year. 2020 is the one that you finally get that promotion. 2020 is the year that you finally get that new house. 2020 is the year you finally get that thing that you've been wanting or you finally get your life together and you find some happiness and joy. And the truth is that 2020 is just going to be like 2019, imperfect. Just like 2018 and 2017 I mean, the truth is that you've been on this same cycle ever since you were a child and you hoped that this Christmas would be the Christmas that you got that game or that toy that you really wanted. And even if you did get it, you got it and five minutes later, you were like, is this it? And then you spent your days in high school. I can't wait to get out of high school. I can't wait to move out of the house. I'm going to be free and do my own thing. And then you got out of the house and you're like, I can't wait to have more money because these bills are crazy. And then you got more money. You realize that wasn't it. And you said, I can't wait to have a baby. When I have a baby, everything will be complete. And now you've got kids and you can't wait for them to move out of the house. <laughs> and the kids move out of the house and you can't wait to have grandchildren. You can't wait. You can't wait. And you're just constantly looking to next year is going to be the year. That is when the time is going to come. That's when I'm finally going to have what it is. And you won't find it in that picture-perfect moment or that picture-perfect year because that's not where joy is found. The angel says, in a manger, that's when you'll find the baby. And when the angel shows up, at the very beginning, the first thing that he says to the shepherds is, fear not. And the reason that he says fear not is because shepherds are sleeping in the middle of the night. They're out in the fields and suddenly there's a bright light and it's shocking. But beyond that, when they begin to sense that there's something divine happening here, the shepherds have the same response that everyone has to the divine. They feel anxious and insecure because they know that they're not worthy of this glory. That's been happening through Scripture ever since Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve sin, and ever since then, every time God would show up, like Adam and Eve, people would hide or they'd be afraid. God comes to walk with Adam and Eve in the garden as was His custom, but because they have sinned, they feel shame and they hide from Him. And everyone who comes into contact with the divine feels like they're not worthy to be before God's glory. And so the angel shows up and the shepherds feel the same shame and fear. But the angel says, fear not. And many times we skip over that next word because it just kind of seems like some interjection, some placeholder. But the next word is behold. And what it means is look. The angel says, don't be afraid, but look. Look at what I'm about to show you. Look upon this. And what he means here is get a hold of this, see this, perceive this, understand this. I bring good news of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a what? A Savior, which is Christ the Lord. 
Tim Keller in his book Hidden Christmas says that to the degree that we behold this truth, to the degree that we gaze upon this wonder, to that degree the fears and shame of our hearts will be undone. We gaze upon the fact that Christ came as a baby to be our Savior. The fear of being with God will be removed when we recognize that God came to be with us. The fear of being before God will be removed when we recognize that God crossed heaven and earth to be here among us. In the late 60s, when the Russians sent the first man into space, that first cosmonaut, Yuri Gagorian, came back and said that he had been to space and did not find God. And the Russian premier, Nikita Khrushchev, said, we have looked for God and found that He does not exist. Now, by the way, to orbit the earth a couple of times and say, we look for God, now that we understand just how vast the universe is, that's like saying, hey, we looked in this one section and we know that God isn't anywhere. It's like when your kids go looking for their shoes and they don't look for their shoes at all. They haven't really looked. They didn't want to look. We haven't really looked for God. The Russians didn't really look for God. They didn't want to look for God. Well, C.S. Lewis wrote in response to Nikita Khrushchev's statement about God not being found. He said, for us to think that we can look into the sky and find God is to show that we think that God is simply just a man upstairs. He's simply a man who has the apartment who's in the second floor while we live in the first floor, and that's not it at all. Because God's not just a guy who lives upstairs. God is the one who created all that we see. And a better analogy is not of God as the man upstairs, but rather as God as the author of all things. Instead of thinking of God as the man who lives upstairs above us, rather we should think of God as the author who wrote our world into existence, like Shakespeare did for Hamlet. Shakespeare wrote the character Hamlet into existence and wrote his world into existence in that play. And C.S. Lewis says that Hamlet could not come to relate to Shakespeare, the author of his life and play, by looking up into the rafters of the playhouse. Rather, the only way that he could relate to Shakespeare is if Shakespeare wrote himself into the play with Hamlet. And what God did on Christmas is that He wrote Himself into the history of our world. He came to be with us. He came to be among us. And we do not need to look into the rafters. We do not look, need to look into the stars, though they have the handiwork of God written all over them. What we need to do is go to a stable in Bethlehem and look in a manger upon the face of God who was born to be among us. And God not only wrote Him into the time and space of our history, He desires to write Himself into the soul into your heart, into your mind. My daughter, Haven, is, is shy. If you've interacted with her, you know that. It can be hard to be the pastor's daughter. Everybody knows you, even though you may not know everyone. So it was a big deal this past week when at Haven's school play, she sang a duet with one of her third grade classmates. I was so proud. I mean, it was a good thing they had double doors on the church. I was able to get my head out the door. Um, 
I'm so proud of him. And the song that she and her friend sang, very simple song. And it came in the play right after the children had talked about the fact that Mary and Joseph came to Bethlehem and there was no room for them in the inn. So they had to go to a stable. And the song that they sang was this. Just two words and little ones at that. Just six letters from the first one to the last. Just two words, but their power can be great, especially when they're said to turn someone away. No room. No room. Just two words in Bethlehem one night turned away the mother of the Savior Jesus Christ. Just two words. They're echoing today. Our lives are so crowded. Jesus has no place. No room. No room. Christ wrote Himself himself into the time and space of our history so that He could be written into our hearts. But we are so busy, even in the season when we celebrate His birth, that we have no room to behold and look upon this wonderful truth. Friend, I believe that if you'll stop to behold, to look upon the face of God as the Christ child in the manger, that like the shepherds, you'll no longer fear. And you'll find joy in the middle of a mess. Christ came as our Savior so that we could be with God as He came to be with us. Is there room for Him to be with you? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.